We are living in so-called age of information. What is the age of information? Age of information does not mean that we are the first human beings that have information, but for the, uh, for the first time in human history, we are inundated and almost intoxicated by amount of uh, information. We have uh, more information than we want or we can handle. For instance, in 1982, futurist and inventor Richard Fuller estimated that up until 1900, human knowledge doubled about every century. But after World War II in 1945, it was a doubling every 25 years. In 2010, Eric Schmidt, former CEO of Google, explain the explosion of information that every two days now, we create as much information as we did from dawn of civilization until 2003. Since 2020, experts estimated the human knowledge will double every 12 hours. Age of information also gives us unprecedented connection to each other via social media like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and texting, and also all kinds of automation is at the verge of reality. So our age of information gave us more convenience and connection than ever before. Now the question is, does the age of information mean also age of integration? Are we better integrated with one another for just peaceful society? Does the exponential growth of information actually enhance and advance our life toward a more humane world? Why can he not answer this basic question? Didn't we develop science for improvement of a human life? What else do we need besides information? We actually need a wisdom more than information. This reminds me of a quote from a well-known American preacher and professor of homiletic at the Gordon Carnell Seminary, Hardin Robinson, on knowledge and wisdom. Our generation possesses more data about the universe and the human personality than all previous generations put together. High school graduates today have been exposed to more information about the world than Plato's, Aristotle, Spinoza, and Benjamin Franklin. In, midst, in terms of facts alone, neither Moses or Paul could pass a college entrance exam today. Yet by everyone's standard, even with all our knowledge, society today is a people with a bumper crop of brilliant failures, men and women educated to earn a living often don't know anything about handling life itself. Alumni from noted universities have a master's information about a narrow slice of a life, but couldn't make it out of the first grade when it comes to living successfully with the family and friends. Let's face it. Knowledge is not enough to meet life problem. We need a wisdom, ability to handle life with a skill. You know, Greek word for wisdom is Sophia. 
from which we have an English word, sophisticated, skilled. Today, James, the whom we've been studying, teaches us the importance of wisdom in our life. So with that, let's turn to our text, James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is a first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sowed in peace reap a harvest of a righteousness. Flowers fall, grass withers, and the word of the Lord lasts forever. James tells us today that there are two kinds of wisdom, heavenly divine wisdom and the worldly demonic wisdom. These two wisdoms are in deadly fight that I call it dual, dual of uh, two wisdom. Just like a recent movie, Last Dwell, the outcome is a deadly. Depending on which side, which wisdom you pursue, your life will be different, either divine or demonic. Here, James gives us a three comparisons to contrast true wisdom and false wisdom in terms of their sources and signs and then fruit or significances. So I made this a table. And uh, as we fill the blanks in the table, I pray that we all recognize what is the demonic wisdom and what is the divine wisdom. And through all, we all follow true wisdom to glorify our God of infinite wisdom. So let's look at the source of wisdom. Source of true wisdom is obviously God. When James said wisdom, wisdom that comes from heaven in this passage, verse 15 and 17, by heaven he meant God. Jewish people revered God so much that instead of calling his name, they referred to heaven. The source of true wisdom is God. Now, there are other two key words that go with true wisdom. The first word is a good deed or work. James said, Verse 13, that let them show it by their good life, by these done. Here we must recognize that wisdom is not just a cognitive, conceptual, and intellectual. Wisdom in the Bible is intellectual and incarnated in reality. For James, wisdom is not abstract, but an act. And James got this, you know, insight Actually, from his half-brother, our Lord Jesus, because Jesus said earlier in Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So according to James, according to Jesus, wise person does not commit 
wisdom to his or memory bank and then very content about knowing it. But the really wise person practice what they know. So wisdom always leads to work. Wise person is not someone who knows a lot, but someone who practice what he knows. So wise people are obedient, okay? So first one, wise people are obedient. The second key word to wisdom is humility. James tells us that wisdom is a heavenly blessing. It came from heaven. It means wisdom demands our humility, our respect. In the Greek text, verse 13, the wisdom and the humility that comes from wisdom is actually, in Greek text, the language is simpler. It's actually two. It's actually, it is the humility of wisdom. Humility of wisdom. As a source of wisdom is God, God gives a wisdom to humble people. That's the good news about true wisdom and its source. God gives wisdom graciously. Do you want wisdom? Ask God humbly. And that's what James actually told us earlier in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any, any one of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You know, this verse is the greatest promise and hope for everyone who wants to be wise. God does not just give wisdom, but He gives graciously His wisdom to all. That means you and I can be wise if we ask God humbly for His wisdom. And here is the most important point of today's sermon. Wise person is a humble. Wise person is a humble. Anyone who is a humble and desperately seeking God will be wise. That's the promise of God. So for instance, who was the wisest person in the Old Testament? Who is the wisest person? Solomon, right? And uh, how did he become the wisest in the Old Testament? If you read 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings and humbly confessed the lack of wisdom. And then he pleaded for his desperate need for wisdom to be good shepherd of God's people. That's how Solomon became the wisest of all. His humility, desperation to pray God led him to the greatest wisdom. So here is a great blessing. I want to stay on my you know, prepared text, but I want to tell you, you have an academic problem, you have a professional problem, pray. Pray God. You know, I am a, I'm a living proof that, uh, you know, God answers prayerful wisdom and knowledge. Before I move on to the source of a false wisdom, I want us to recognize a radical blessing revealed by this expression, Humility of wisdom. When James coined this expression, humility of wisdom, we must recognize such a term was a very strange expression in, back then in Hellenistic world. In the Greco-Roman world, humility was a never a virtue. You know, Greeks associated greatness with honor, while they connected shame to humility. It was a Judeo-Christian tradition which coupled the greatness and humility together. 
in an article, How Christian Humility Upended the World, a professor of ancient history at Market University, John, Dix, John Dixon, said this. In the 147 PC maxims of Delphi Canon, by the way, you know what Delphi Canon is? According to you know, Greek tradition, it was a, a, you know, God Apollo gave to whatever Greek philosopher in the, 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 you know, the, the temple. And uh, it is a very simple, you know, wise saying such as uh, follow God, obey the law, respect your parents, know by learning, listen and understand, be yourself, set out to be married. Oh, I didn't know that was a part of the wisdom. Know your opportunity. All those kind of commonsensical maxims they call Delphi Canon from 6th century before Christ considered by ancient Greeks to be sum and substance of ethical life. There, there is no mention of the theme of, let alone the word humility. Whereas today, it would be difficult to list 10 virtues without including humility. So how is the humility came to our world as a virtue is because of a Christian. Because of a Christian. Why did a Christian make a big deal about humility? It is because the Greeks regarded wisdom to be an achievement and possessed by few smart people like philosophers. But Christians saw wisdom as a God's gift to everybody. Who wants to receive it? especially humble people. Because of that, humility became a virtue. Now, if a source of a true wisdom is a holy trinity of a gracious God and humble person and then good deed, there is an unholy trinity as, a, as the source of a false wisdom. Look at the verse 15. Such a wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is an earthly unspiritual, demonic. Earthly, in New Testament, consistently refers to that which is inferior. Heavenly means superior. Earthly means inferior. Wisdom that is earthly shuts out God and limits its scope to things on this earth. According to James, wisdom that excludes the consideration of God is in fact not simply earthly in neutral sense, but represent kind of a closure and uh, isolation and disconnected, disconnectedness. It is earthbound or restricted to this world. The middle term, unspiritual in Greek, is actually natural. The physique from where we get the physical, which is often contrast, uh, contrasted with the physical in the scripture, in the scripture. So the significance, the meaning of a natural wisdom is that it lacks the life of the spirit. Life of the spirit. And the last term, demonic, suggests that false wisdom is a demon inspired. The wisdom Satan loves is a wisdom without God, wisdom without the Holy Spirit, wisdom without any consideration of a spiritual life. It is a purely self-enclosed, self-promoted, and self-interested. Because of false wisdom, it's all about oneself, one's perspective, and one's pleasure. James said it boasts and denies any truth of God. 
once again we see diametrically opposite picture of a true wisdom and false wisdom in that person of a true wisdom is a full of humility, whereas the other person of a false wisdom is a full of arrogance. Now let's see the second contrast, signs of this wisdom. How do the true wisdoms and false wisdom manifest itself? When we look at the signs of wisdom, there we know how we can detect which kind of wisdom is in our heart and life. So let's go to the sign of a false wisdom first. Twice in verse 14 and 16, false wisdom manifests itself through envy and selfish ambition. Envy and selfish ambition. Why envy and selfish ambition connected to false demonic wisdom? Someone said, proud man has no God, and envious man has no neighbor. Proud man does, has no God, and envious man has no neighbor. When a person sees not God, but himself in the center of his world, seeks nothing but his own wisdom, he has no regard for God and his neighbors. Particularly his understanding of a friendship is as shallow as his small self-interest. False, earthly, carnal, demonic wisdom accompanies envy because of one's selfish ambition. You know, envy is a very infectious and influential, especially when we become very self-focused and self-centered. Envy, envy, listen to me, make us not rejoice in somebody else's success. Envy make us not rejoice in somebody else's success. Rather, envy makes us rejoice in others' failure. For me, the greatest sin of envy is that envy gives me temporary amnesia to forget how wonderfully and faithfully God loves me. Envy erases my gratitude for God's amazing grace. Envy shifts the center of my life from God to myself. When I'm self-focused more than God-focused, you know what happens? I become a hypersensitive. I become very self-protective and self-beautiful. And then with that, I began to divide people into two groups. Those who make me feel good and those don't. Instead of seeing people into two groups, those that whom I need to pray, those whom I need to pray more. How do you know our heart is healthy and our spirit is strong over against the envy? You know, the opposite of envy is encouragement and enjoyment. When we encourage someone and enjoy his or her progress, we not only beat the envy, but guess what? We become happier. We become happier. Let me illustrate this. My all-time favorite female pop singer is Linda Ronstadt. Anybody knows Linda Ronstadt? Whoever recognizes Linda Ronstadt, raise your hand. There's no shame. You know, she's much better than most you know, singers today. She had a range of singing that covers a pop, country, rock and roll, even light opera. You know, did you know she sang opera in the Broadway? And 
surprise or mariachi. Yes, she sang a full mariachi. Better than anyone that I know. By the way, her middle name is Maria. Linda Maria Ronstadt. She's a second generation Mexican-American from, from Arizona. Dolly Parton once said, Linda Ronstadt was the singer and all of us were imposters. In a book, Linda Ronstadt, Simple Dreams, 11-time Grammy Award singer recalls the first time she heard fellow singer named uh, Emmylou Harris. My first reaction, quote, to it was uh, slightly conflicted. First, I loved uh, singing wildly. Second, in my opinion, she was doing what I was trying to do only a whole, whole lot better. Then came a split-second decision that I made that affected the way I listened to and enjoyed the music for the rest of my life. I thought that if I allowed myself to become envious of an Emmy, it would be painful to listen to her. And if I deny myself the pleasure of it. But if I simply surrender to loving what she did, I could take my rightful place among other drooling Emmylou Harris fans. Fans. And then maybe, just maybe, I may be able to sing with her, so I surrender. Guess what? Linda went on to not only sing with Emmy, but also recorded a three award-winning albums with Emmy Lou Harris and Dolly Parton as a trio. So Linda Ronstadt wisely chose friendship instead of envying her friends talent. And by the way, reason I quote this is that Linda Ronstadt is a far better than, you know, Emily Harrison. Sorry if you're Emily Harrison fan. And I was so surprised that she was envious of uh, Emily, you know, Lou, Emily, you know, Harris. You know, we all have this uh, envy, you know, especially when we are self-focused. Now, in contrast to this envy and uh, uh, selfish ambition of a false wisdom, James described the signs of a true wisdom in verse 17 with the eight words. Those are the wisdom come from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, and impartial and sincere. Some say that this is a James list of a fruit of the Spirit, before Paul, Apostle Paul, enlisted the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, perseverance, and kindness, and goodness, and the, uh, faithfulness, and gentleness, and then self-control. James explained how wisdom from above, or wisdom of the Holy Spirit, manifests itself. And here, note this. James made a pure as a prerequisite or foundation of other attributes of a true wisdom. Why is a pure is important? Once again, James was using Jesus' teaching. Matthew 5, 8, in Beatitude, James said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Wisdom, wisdom that comes from God is the wisdom of the pure people who see God. And the someone who explains better than, better, uh, better, uh, 
better, uh, someone who explains this uh, notion of spiritual purity better than anybody is a Dutch existential Christian philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. And he wrote a book called The Purity of a Heart is to Will One Thing. And then book starts with this prayer. And I think this prayer of uh, Soren Kierkegaard should be a prayer of uh, everyone here today. So let's read. I want you to, you know, uh, read and reflect this uh, Kierkegaard's prayer. Father in heaven, what are we without you? What is all that we know, vast accumulation though it be, but a chip fragment if we do not know you? What is all our striving? Could it be ever encompass a world, but a half-finished work if we do not know you? You, the one who is a one thing and who is all. So may you give to the intellect the wisdom to comprehend that one thing, to the heart the sincerity to receive this and this only, to the will the purity that wills only one thing. In prosperity, may you grant the perseverance to will one thing, amid distraction, collectiveness to will one thing, in suffering, patience to will one thing. You that gives a both the beginning and completion, may you early at the dawn of the day, Give to the young the resolution to will one thing. At the day's wanes, may you give to the old a renewed remembrance of that first resolution, that the first may be the last, and the last like the first. In possession of a life that has willed only one thing, to know God. Kierkegaard was saying that when we have a purity to will absolutely one thing, and the absolute one thing that we will, we desire is God, we will have a rest of a wisdom. We will have a peaceful, considerate, submissive, merciful, good, fruitful, impartial, and sincere wisdom. Here, allow me to point out one thing about James as a pastor. The list of adjectives that describe the attribute of a wisdom was not actually random but it's very intentional, especially with the rhetorical effects that meet the pedagogical aim. Okay, it means he intentionally fashioned this way to help his audience to remember. With this list of the words, one thing you notice, do we have that uh, uh, Greek words? He intentionally kind of made a word that all starts with the epsilon, E in Greek, and the alpha, a in Greek. So peaceful or peace-loving is Arenike. And the gentle or considerate is Epicus. And the submissive, literally actually means reasonable, is Eupathos. And the full uh, mercy is Eulius. And the you know, good fruit, good is Agathon, impartial, uh, Adiakritos. And the sincere actually means unhypocritical. Is a uh, anupokritos. James did not creatively arrange the attribute of wisdom to show off his rhetorical skill or aesthetic, you know, style. He wanted his people to remember for good that true wisdom is all about loving and loving others as God loved us. Do you notice here? All the attributes of wisdom, true wisdom, are relational virtues. True wisdom 
all attribute of true, relation, uh, true wisdom is a relational virtue. Wisdom recognizes a valuable relationship more than any treasures in the world. So let me tell you this. Real wise person values relationship more than anything else. If you are relational, and if you value relationship above any financial gain, any whatever career advancement, anything above everybody else six, you are the wisest person before God. Seriously, if you value human beings more than anything, you are children of God because that's how God sees us. A commentator said true wisdom is a binding force in the Christian community which fosters godly relationship. Now let me move to the final contrast, the significance or fruit of a wisdom. What is the fruit or legacy of a false wisdom? Verse uh, 16. For you have envy and selfish ambition. There you find the disorder and evil practice. Whenever you see a person of a false wisdom, you see disorder and disharmony. Greek root word for disorder actually means seditious. Seditious. And the Greek word for the practice is a pragma, which are often used for the lawsuit. Legacy of unspiritual false wisdom is a breaking of one's faith community with ungodly and selfish desires. You know, such person always creates drama wherever he or she People of a false wisdom or worldly unspiritual wisdom, that the kings and queens of unnecessary, unhealthy drama to divide the people and weaken relationship because they are self-seeking and self-serving. They always work for their self-convenience and self-interest above common good and service to the community. And worse, they infect those around them with a virus of this earthly, unspiritual, deceived attitude. In contrast, the person of a true wisdom brings forth what? Fruit of a peacemaking. Fruit of a peacemaking. Twice in this passage, James highlights peace, peace-loving and peacemaking. Why? True wisdom always builds a relationship. Never gives up the relationship, no matter how hard the relationship is, and try their best and try to bridge the gap and build a relationship and strengthen the community. And do you notice here that James completes a teaching on wisdom with a purity as a foundation and peacemaking as a fruit? Purity to see God as a foundation of a true wisdom. And peacemaking is the ultimate fruit. Why do you think a James connected purity with the peacemaking? The answer is found once again. Teaching of Jesus. The Sermon on Mount. Do you know what Jesus said after blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God? You know what's the following beatitude? 
if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You know, theology of James is deeply based on teaching of his half-brother and Lord Jesus Christ. Especially Sermon on the Mount. Why? To James, Jesus was the ultimate wisdom of God. You know, today, James started his sermon on the wisdom with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? You know, when he asked that question, he was, not a, he was not asking a survey question or even rhetorical question. I think it was actually a saving question and revelatory, you know, revelatory question. James already knew who is the most wise and understanding among all people in the world. James wants us to look at Jesus for true wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom from God, the most wonderful gift from Father to all. And when you look at Jesus, you will have a wisdom to live, faithful life with a lasting love. And when you really look at the life of Jesus, what was his mission? Ultimately, Jesus was peacemaker. Frederick Buchanan said this, Jesus I follow is a peacemaker. Is the one who says, forgive your enemies. Who worries about the poor? Who worries about the poorest of the poor instead of riches of the rich? To follow Jesus, the wisdom of God, the incarnated, embodied wisdom of God, means to be a peacemaker in this world. And the Richard Nixon, President Richard Nixon once said this, the greatest honor in history, listen to me, greatest honor in history belongs to peacemakers. The greatest honor in history is not those who conquer others and, you know, build, a, you know, expand the territory, but one who make a peace between quarreling people and fighting people. That is, they deserve, they are the one who receive the greatest honor. You know, United Nations, they call their uh, military unit what? Peacemakers. And their unofficial slogan is what? Peacemaking is dangerous because we receive flack from both sides. Christians, genuine followers of Jesus Christ, the living wisdom, the lasting wisdom, the creative, transformative wisdom of God, guess what? When you follow Christ, you receive flack from both right and left. I'm saying this over and over again. Christians, we cannot subscribe the one public to the other. We are sinner. Because God loves it all. God loves all people. Conservative and liberals, these are all God's people. And the truth of God is good for everybody. We are called to be a peacemakers. Because that's how we met God in Christ. I want to say this, the last word to you today, church. The world tells us these days, the wisest people today, those who made a huge profit off Bitcoin, crypto, you know, currency, 
or whoever adopted the age of information. But you know what God said? The wisest of all are the peacemakers, for they are the most honorable children of God. Peacemakers. They believe in relationship. They know God's, you know, God's heartache for the broken relationship, and they know God can heal and transform the broken relationship. And Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. That is, a power and love is real, and with him, we can make a peace in this world. Yes, we have to carry our own crosses. Yes, you and I may be, you know, will be shot. But with God's wisdom, we will build the peacemaking kingdom of Christ. Let's pray.